Whoa there, horsey! Just before we get into the podcast, I want to let you know about a free event that we're running full of SMH and behaviour strategies that you can use to support the kids that you work with. It'll run on Tuesday the 11th of June 2024 at 7pm London time. We're going to take a real world behaviour issue submitted by a member of our community, pull it apart and offer solutions and strategies. And this month we're focusing on strategies for supporting pupils who become overwhelmed and go into freeze in the classroom rather than fight or flight. Our aim is for you to Walk away with lots of actionable ideas and insights that you can use straight away in your school. Plus, it's completely free. We're limited to 300 spaces, though, so grab yours now before they're all gone. I'll put a direct link to the registration page in the episode description. All you've got to do is tap on this episode in your podcast app. You'll see a link to the webinar. Follow that link, enter your details, and boom, you're done. Can't wait to see you there. The schools that are successful are working everybody's working together to make lunchtimes a successful time and that they know that the impact of if lunchtimes don't work then we lose good teaching and learning time. So when I start speaking to schools what often I'll hear is that they you know there's behavior problems outside children don't aren't cooperating lunchtime supervisors are shouting at children. I always say if lunchtime supervisors are shouting at children then they're disempowered and they don't have behavior management skills. So Actually, that's a reflection of us to actually work with them and train them. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else this is the school behavior secrets podcast hi there my name's simon corrigan and welcome to the latest episode of school behavior secrets we're broadcasting exclusively from behavior towers you'll find it just next door to detention towers which is really dragging the neighborhood ambience down not to mention what it's done to the property prices and you know it's funny You just keep seeing the same kids queued up outside as if they're not learning anything from their experience. I'm here with my co-host, Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. Emma, I'd like to start this week's show by asking, what's your favourite team game and why? Ah, okay. That's an easy one for me, as I was lucky enough to spend five years playing competitive roller derby. I absolutely loved that feeling of being part of a team and working on a shared goal together. There were so many highs and lows. What's your favourite team game, Simon? And why do you ask? My favourite team game, I used to play it a lot at school, was football because it really is a team game and scoring a goal really is just not the result of the shooter's individual skill at the end, but it's the build-up and the work that the team's put in together. I'm asking because this week we're sharing my interview with Therese Hoyle, which is focused on improving pupil behaviour at lunchtime through playground games. And one of the things that comes out of her interview If you want your initiative, any initiative to have a whole school impact, it has to be a team effort. You need buy-in from your teaching staff, your leadership team, your pupils, and your parents. So it's not just about training the supervisors at lunchtimes. It's about how those games and ideas are promoted in the classroom, the status given to supervisors by senior managers, how their work is promoted to parents, and so on. And she shares 
some really simple practical ideas for embedding those changes and making them successful, whether your initiative is around lunchtimes or any other area of school life. But before we press play on that interview, I've got a favour to ask from our listeners. Please could you share this episode with one or two colleagues that you know so that the kids in their classrooms can get the help that they need too. All you need to do is open your podcast app, hit the share button and send a direct link by email, messenger or however you like to communicate with your friends. And now here's Simon's interview with Therese Hoyle. I'd like to welcome our guest, Therese Hoyle, to the show today. Therese supports primary schools to dramatically improve the quality of day-to-day playtimes and lunchtimes with the aim of improving kids' behaviour, engagement and social-emotional well-being. She has over 25 years' experience in education and has worked as a teacher, educational consultant and has supported over 495 schools and organisations. She's one of the UK's leading training providers of playtime and lunchtime programmes with her How to Be a Lunchtime Supervisor Superhero workshop and is also the author of the book 101 Playground Games, amongst others. Therese, welcome to the show. Hi, Simon. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So let me start with a question. Therese, why do you think that many of the behaviour problems we see in school happen at playtime and lunchtime? What's going on? Good question, Simon. Personally, I just think that very often it's not actually bad behaviour at lunchtime. It's often bull behaviour. So there's not enough for children to do. So it manifests as behaviour problems. And if, you know, it's about looking at our playground, looking at what some of the pockets of problems are and seeing, you know, is it because there's not enough for children to do? What is there in the playground for children to do? Are they active? Is there a diversity of opportunities for children out there? Do all children's needs in terms of play, are they met? So really evaluating it, is it a behaviour problem or is it the lack of opportunities for children outside? Because actually, if you walk into a playground, you can listen outside the playground to the tone of the voices of the children and if children are happy you will hear happy children by the pitch and tone of their voices in my experience when children are active entertained having fun joyful in the playground and they've got enough to do you really aren't going to have behavioral problems because children are happy they know how to play um, they they cooperate with each other they problem solve and they have fun so that it's really minimal in terms of problems if that's the case If you're a senior manager listening to this, apart from sort of those shrill voices, if you wanted to go down and look at your playground today or tomorrow, what other telltale signs might we see that the behaviours we're seeing are from kids who are bored rather than something around their emotional skills, social emotional skills, that sort of thing? So we'll see children wandering around the playground with nothing to do and attached to lunchtime supervised hands. (laughs) You know, I was working with a school last week And I ran a circle time with children. And in that, I had 18 children I was working with. And out of those 18, there were four or five who said at lunchtimes they didn't have anybody to play with. So that's a really, really high percentage of that particular class. We'd also see children having disagreements, arguments. Often, what I often see when I'm talking with children too is they all want to be leaders in a game. So they don't know how to be leaders and followers and for one person to organise it and others. So they're all wanting to lead and that lack of cooperation as a group. So those are skills we can actually work with in terms of our classrooms and in our PE lessons, supporting children to be more cooperative 
um, play with each other. And I think in terms of senior leaders observing, it can be in terms of observing our lunchtime supervisors. Are they working with the children or are they chatting in the sidelines and have taken their eyes off the children? So it is about the adults outside you know, are they supporters of play? Do they know how to encourage play? Do they know how to join in? Are they facilitators of play? Or are they just there to supervise? What skills do those lunchtime supervisors or play leaders need to develop themselves in order to run playground games successfully? A lot of them actually don't know the games that we use. Well, they know the games, but they're not playing the games that we used to play. So very often what I'll find is lunchtime supervisors are quite nervous. Some of the lunchtime supervisors I was working with this week lack confidence. And actually, I was working with a team a couple of days ago, and I asked them when was the last time they had training? They actually couldn't remember. Some had never had training. So we are putting very ill-equipped members of staff into our playgrounds who lack confidence. They haven't been taught any skills. You know, we go to teach training, university to train. So actually, you know, we really need to be thinking about how do we equip with the skills to actually be outside and play with our children. I teach games on my training days and staff look at me like, oh my goodness, she's going to make me go outside and she's going to make me play games. And they look at me like, oh, she looks the type, she's going to do that. This week I said to them, oh, we're going to get outside and play some games. They looked at me and then when they come back in, they're laughing, joking, saying, oh my goodness, I had so much fun. I Those are the games I used to play when I was a child. It just re-energizes them and it helps inspire them and helps teach them, you know, remember those games. We've all got play memories of when we were children of things we did that we love, games that we used to have so much much fun playing and then they want to go outside and they want to play those games with the children so I think we actually have to model the playing of games we have to reignite the games with our lunchtime supervisors for them to actually want to go out and play but teach them how to play those games again because they will have forgotten or maybe they didn't learn them you know that can be the other side of actually maybe they were one of those children who never got taught any of those games and we all know how games build teams so when we've got you know our lunchtime supervisors play games have fun together then you get stronger teams but you also get stronger teams of children too through playing games i think you made such a good point there that our lunchtime supervisors have the kids at what's probably the hardest time of the day in terms of managing behavior and yet they're probably the least invested and as a lunchtime supervisor, it's going to be hard to get fired up about something if you don't feel confident and you haven't had the training and support. Absolutely. And I know this week there was a lovely lunchtime supervisor and she looked really quite nervous on the training. And it, maybe she'd never been on any training. I don't know. And I learned afterwards, I went into an action planning meeting with the senior leadership team and they said, well, she actually is a fitness trainer. She goes and works in a gym. And I said, well, no, she's got so many skills. She could be working with the children doing, you know, fitness outside with a music box. And, you know, that team member we talked about, actually, how can we support her? How can we build her confidence so that actually she's going to feel equipped to go outside and be with the children? And as you say, Simon, 20% of a school day, children spend playing. So that's a fifth of the school week. That's actually one day a week where children are playing outside with our lunchtime supervisors. And we're putting our least equipped members of staff to work with children a one day a week so we really do need to think about prioritizing that time of the day because as you say too if we don't get that time of the day right then it impacts teaching and learning time in the afternoon and as most teachers will tell you they end up sorting out problems after play time and losing good teaching and learning time so it's a really important time in the day to get right 
Sometimes when we talk to lunchtime supervisors about playground games, in their head, they imagine we're asking them to create some sort of Disney world, which is impossible to achieve. How do you get over those kind of preconceptions? How do you make it manageable for lunchtime supers and realistic in what is a very busy time of the day? Yeah, it's not that kind of utopia, is it? It's like something that's realistic and fun. I've written my 101 Playground Games, which came out in June this year, and there's 10 Playground Games which are downloadable off my website from the book, which I always teach lunchtime supervisors. So it's like in their toolkit. These are the 10 games that you need to know so that you can go outside and you can teach those. So actually, they don't need to teach them for that long, because once they start teaching them, the children remember them and they start playing them themselves. And I teach the play leaders to play those games, too. So it's not always left up to lunchtime supervisors. Children are really good at organising games once they know the games. But actually, sometimes lunchtime supervisors need to start those games, get children going, and then they can leave them. It works really, really well if we've got teachers teaching games in PE, we've got lunchtime supervisors teaching games and all supporting games. I um, encourage lunchtime supervisors to have a teacher game of the week. So every week, one new game is introduced. And that's the game that is encouraged throughout that week. So children learn that game. By the end of the 39 weeks of the school year, they've got 39 games in their toolkit. And lunchtime supervisors have learned 39 games as well. So actually, you know, it's working for everybody. Once we've got our children playing these games, what kind of skills do we need to teach them specifically to be able to engage in constructive play without those playground games falling into argument? You've touched on the idea of everyone wants to be the leader, but what other sorts of social and emotional skills do we need to be actively teaching them? So it's cooperation, isn't it? It's just like, you know, knowing how to cooperate with each other, knowing that we take turns knowing that, you know, we've got a home base, knowing we've got a set of rules as well when we play a game. So it's abiding by rules, which is part of life. In our playgrounds, I always encourage schools to have, we often have rules inside school, but we don't have them outside in the playground. So children think there's a different set of moral values inside to outside. And we also don't talk about those rules with our lunchtime supervisors, so they don't don't have the behaviour management systems at all. And so if we've got those rules in place outside, or the codes of conduct, or the values outside, then those actually work for our games as well. So the rules will say, I'm kind. So we're encouraging kindness in our games. I'm honest. So you don't cheat at a game, you know, sort of rules around listening. So you're listening to each other. So it is encouraging the values that we have inside in our school building, that those are exactly the same outside in the playground as well. And on my programs, I teach children how to do circle time, which is uh, where children sit in a circle on a weekly basis. They play games and they have fun, but they learn in that classroom circle how to be cooperative, that it's okay to make a mistake, that we don't laugh at each other when we we make mistakes, that we support each other, that we work together as a team, that we problem solve, you know, we learn how to resolve conflict. I think quite a lot of children struggle with, I've got a problem with a friend, how do I resolve that? It's really, how do I discuss this challenge I've got with this person? And so Circle Time's a perfect place to teach children skills, how to sort out problems with each other and how to be a good friend. So we model that in the classroom and then those skills get taken out into the playground too which is really helpful it's a bit like learning the theory and then doing the practical therese could you tell us about a school that you've supported and the kind of process you take them through to make playtimes and lunchtimes more successful
successful? Yeah, so when I start speaking to schools, what often I'll hear is that you know there's behaviour problems outside, children don't aren't cooperating, they've got problems with their lunchtime supervisors, lunchtime supervisors are shouting at children. I always say if lunchtime supervisors are shouting at children, then they're disempowered and they don't have behaviour management skills. So actually that's a reflection of us to actually work with them and train them. So first of all, I have a kind of pre-meeting with leadership team when we first start working together. I get them to fill out, get the teachers to fill out questionnaires with the children and the children fill out questionnaires about what's working at lunchtime and playtimes, what's not working. And so we get to hear their voices. On a training day to start with, I work with senior leadership team at the very beginning of the morning and we create a vision, you know, where do they want to be? And by the end of, I usually do two or three days training with schools. And then I work with children. So it's about pupil voice, hearing their voice, you know, what's going on for them. And I teach them games in the circle time. So we do circle time, listen to their voice, what's working at playtimes, what's not working, how would they like playtimes to be, what would make a really good playtime at lunchtime. It's really important when we're doing a consultation kind of process with lunchtimes and playtimes that children are included, that they're part of it. It's no good doing unto children. You know, it's not going to work if, if that's the case. I also talk to them about in the circle time about rules. Do they have them up outside in the playground do they know what they are very often children have no idea if there are any rules outside in the playground there usually aren't any rules in the playground and sometimes it's interesting for one of the schools I was working with this week they were saying oh there's one angry lunchtime supervisor in the playground so there are you know some lunchtime supervisors who are lovely and great skills and some who are lacking in a few skills too so all of that comes up in the circle time I'd just like to take a pause for a moment and say that if you're finding this podcast useful, then you're going to love what we've got waiting for you in our Inner Circle program. The Inner Circle is your one-stop shop for all things behavior. It's a comprehensive platform filled with videos, resources, and behavior inspiration to get you unstuck with classroom behavior. We've got training resources on de-escalation, supporting kids with anxiety, support strategies for conditions like autism, ADHD, and PDA, practical ways of helping pupils deal with strong emotions, assertive behavior management techniques for managing the whole class, setting out your classroom environment for success, resetting behavior with tricky classes, and more. Our online videos walk you through practical solutions step by step. Just like Netflix, you can turn an Inner Circle subscription on or off whenever you need to with no minimum contract. Plus, you can now get your first seven days of Inner Circle for just one pound. Get the behavior answers you've been looking for today with Inner Circle. Visit beaconschoolsupport.co.uk and click on the Inner Circle picture near the top of the homepage for more information. And also I teach them conflict resolution skills. So I get them to problem solve. If one person's you know, got a problem, then we look at, as a class how to support that person too. And then we also celebrate each other. So it's a lovely kind of problem solving time. And it teaches them skills. We play a lot of games in that time too. And then I go into debriefing staff around the circle time. And then I go into lunchtime and observe the dining hall look at how much wait time possibly is happening in terms of children queuing up you know it's a really difficult time for schools at the moment with children in bubbles and everything's operating in different ways that's not going to last forever because children won't be in this bubble forever it's not great for those kids who are lining up for 10-15 minutes and that's part of their lunch time 
And I also look at how healthy is the food they're eating. Some schools, like yesterday, I had an amazing lunch in the school, but a couple of weeks ago, I had a really not very nice lunch. So those are things I think we need to pick up on too. Also, in terms of lunchtime supervised, sometimes in the hall, they want the children to be silent. You know, that's not realistic. Actually, it's fine if children are talking. That's part of the social time. So I look at lunchtimes. How is it working? What's working well? What's not working so well? Obviously, we're going to have a lot of work to do around that area post children getting back into dining halls and that more social mix, encouraging children to mix again with each other. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of challenges in schools because children haven't been mixing. So there's a lot of social, emotional well-being work that we've got to do. And then I go into the playground and I observe the playground and do a bit of an audit with, you know, really look at what, you know, what is going on outside in the playground? Is football dominating the playground? Is it just a concrete jungle out there? I go into playgrounds and they do, they vary so much. Some are amazing. A school I was in, I'd worked with six years ago and they brought me back in because I'd had a complete change of staff. And what was so lovely, they said to me, because the playtime programme has worked. It's worked for six years, but now we've had a change of staff and we've gone through this COVID time. We really want to reinvigorate it again. It was just wonderful to go back in because actually they did have lots of really good practice. They got table tennis tables. They were doing playing. The teachers were actually outside playing games with the children. Football was dominating a little bit. There wasn't enough equipment outside because they were in their bubbles and they've got, rather than having different areas for play, they're far more restricted. So as we move out of this period, having all the different activity areas in the playground so that there's opportunities for all children to play. So I suggest, you know, having a quiet area, suggest something called Craze of the Week so they have one activity a week. At the moment, lunchtime supervisor is saying to me, oh, well, it's really interesting. All our classes have got equipment, they've got play bags, but it's really interesting because some classes hardly have any left and some classes have still got a lot, and that's to do with how they've looked after the equipment. And that's really when we could put lots of equipment out in the playground. I usually find it gets lost, stolen or broken. It doesn't last. And it is about thinking about teaching children how to use that equipment. But I always suggest one piece of equipment a week, and that being a craze of the week. Because children get bored. You know, a craze is something fun, and it lasts for a short period of time. But if we put everything out... It's just the same every week. So we need play equipment. We rotate, we change, and we have different equipment on different weeks. So it's making play fun for everybody. I had a school message me on social media this week. They were just saying, oh, we've just given our children pipes, wooden blocks, reels, and they've been making an obstacle course. And they've cooperated. They've problem solved. They've worked together as a team. They've worked out how to stop something wobbling. You know, just so gorgeous when you just see children using all those incredible skills that are life skills. And science, they're working with the school. They got a pond and we were talking about, well, how can we get science outside at lunchtime? You know, oh, let's get some magnifying glass. The children are fascinated with the pond. Let's get them out by the pond. Let's get some nets. The schools have so many, you know, resources. And I was in this school and they got a forest school area, but there is no forest school teacher. I just thought, gosh, it's an amazing area for children to explore in this area. It's quite safe. And obviously we have to do a risk benefit kind of assessment. But actually, you know, how can we make that a place that children want to go? And I said to this child, oh, do you ever go in here? And it was just next to the reception playground, key stage one playground. I said, do you ever go in here? He's like, no. Would you like to go in there? I was like, well, it looks a bit scary. You know, the way he looked at me was, oh, it, it looks a bit scary. So I think for some children, they actually haven't had access to those 
areas where, you know, they can explore with the wildlife in that little wooded area, leaves and twigs and build a no, and pretend bonfire, whatever it is, make dens. There's so much opportunity in a playground. So it's going into the playground, evaluating, you know, how it is, our and looking at the children, you know, are they playing well? Are they having fun or are they looking a bit bored? And really doing an audit around the playground. And then in the afternoon, I work with lunchtime supervisors. It's about getting them to value the skills that they have. A lot of them don't know that they've got this wealth of skills that they bring to the team. So I do something called um, creating an identity kit where they think about all the skills that they have. And then I also look at respect for them. So many lunchtime supervisors say, children say to them, I don't have to do what you tell me because you're just a lunchtime supervisor. So I work with them and I always have um, members of the leadership team in that meeting because they need to hear the same message that lunchtime supervisors are hearing and be supported. And I always say, you know, um, we need to think about how we are supporting our lifetime supervisors, but also how we're that message that parents are hearing. You know, where's that message coming from in terms of lunchtime supervisors are just lunchtime supervisors. Often it is from home. They're part of the community. Parents don't really respect them. So I get us to think about, well, how can we build respect? put them in the newsletter, put photos of them playing with the children and look at things like, you know, when we come into schools, often the reception areas, there's photos of everybody, but sometimes there aren't photos of lunchtime supervisors. And I always, before I go and work with a school, I look at their website, our lunchtime supervisors on the website. Early this week, I looked at their website, every member of staff was on there, but there was a section for lunchtime supervisors, but their pictures hadn't been uploaded. And we are human we make mistakes we don't get things wrong always in schools and things get forgotten but actually we can't afford to forget our lunchtime supervisors because it's the subliminal messages that they're getting and it's really really important that they feel an equal member of the team so training for them and regular training it's not just me coming in once it is actually regular meetings with somebody who supports them. And also this school that I worked with this week was actually amazing. They got the school business manager was now she was really supporting them was a new role for her but she was really supporting them in their role and she was part of the day I ran to all day she was with me and she just started performance management for lunchtime supervisors they'd never been performance managed but they're a member of the school team they want to improve their skills so let's have supportive supervision for them supportive um, line management for them and after that I then go into action planning with the senior leaders and then we have a follow-up day as well where we do more game playing I teach play leaders and then at the end of uh, training with a school, I do training with a whole school. So all the, I have a staff meeting where everybody's part of, because actually play lunchtime needs to be a whole school way. It's just not an add-on. It is a whole school way of being. So it's really important for everybody to be part of that. What would you say is the one core thing that the best schools do who manage lunchtime successfully that's different to everyone else? That everybody's doing it and that it's, it's consistent that the message is consistent throughout, that there's an assembly at the beginning of the year and all lunchtime supervisors are invited to and the rules are discussed and that lunchtime supervisors are included, that they're important, that they're trained and that teachers and lunchtime supervisors work together. They have similar behaviour management systems and that play and lunchtimes is part of the school development plan and improvement plan. The schools that are successful are working Everybody's working together to make lunchtimes a successful time and that they know that the impact of if lunchtimes don't work, then we lose good teaching and learning time. Therese, if you're a teacher or a school leader, 
listening to this podcast, what's the first step you can take to start improving lunch times in your school? First of all, think about that 20% of the school day as being really important and valuing it. And the first things to really think about are how, when was the last time your lunchtime supervisor had any training? Really important to start valuing them and making sure that they're properly trained and thinking about those baseline things that are important, like your value system. Is it outside? Are children familiar with that? Are the rules outside that you've got inside of it? Is it the same inside to outside? Do you have a behaviour management system that's similar from inside to outside? And do lunchtime supervisors know what that is as well? And is there equal access to play opportunities for everybody? Is there something for every child in the school to do? If you've got a quiet child, is there a quiet area where they can sit and read a book? I remember when we lived in New Zealand for six years and I remember somebody I was working with saying to me, oh, New Zealand's very sporty. And she said to me, oh, my child is not sporty. He does not want to go and play cricket or football, which is what they most of them do at playtime. She said he just wants to sit quietly with a book. And I think the importance of that is that child wants to feel that that's okay. That's a skill that he has, not to feel like he's different and odd and strange to read a book, but actually that you know, that child's a good reader. He wants to sit with a book and enjoy that over lunchtime and be quieter. And that's okay. So I think we need to look at the diversity inclusion of all children at playtime and lunchtime too. How can our listeners find out more about your resources and your books and training? They can go to www.theresehoyle.com and that's T-H-E-R-E-S-E, Hoyle, H-O-Y-L-E.com. So my book, 101 Playground Games, came out in June, which is available from Rutledge and it's also on Amazon, which I'm really excited about. It's got lots of love and hard work into it. So there's obviously 101 games in the book and there's a free downloadable resource on my website, which has 10 of those games in it. So you can go to my website, www.theresewill.com. And there's also, if you go to the bottom, scroll to the bottom of the page, there's another 10 free games at the bottom of the page from my 101 Wet Playtime Games and Activities book too. And if you use the code FLY21 you'll also get 20% off so do buy that book particularly I think it's an amazing resource for lunchtime supervisors and for PE and so it's a definite resource for that. And finally we ask this of all our guests who's the key figure that's influenced you or what's the key book that you've read that's had the biggest impact on your approach to working with kids? That is a really hard question because it's quite a few. So can I have a few? <laughs> I think actually when I was a young teacher working in London, I had an amazing head teacher who was very good at delegating and trusting us. And I was young and I had lots of great ideas. I was a year two class teacher and I could see that there were problems at lunchtimes and playtimes in our school. And, you know, I was going to, to moving into leadership and one of the roles she gave me was to develop our lunchtimes and our playtimes in the school. It was what I wanted to do because I could see there was a problem. So I basically was given this amazing opportunity by a head who trusted me to develop our playtimes and our lunchtimes. And it was really from then that I developed the programs. And she then she she let me go out and work with other schools and develop their playtimes and lunchtimes too. And circle time, she got me to teach everybody in our school how to do circle time too. So I was in a really fortunate position to have an amazing head who believed in me. And I think, you know, that's really important in education to be in a school with a good head who actually believes in you too and allows you to flourish. Give her a shout out. What's her name? 
Her name's Jane Cook, and she used to work at Honeywell Infant School in London, and she is she's a retired head now. Second choice would be George Robinson, who was one of the founders of Circle Time with Barbara Mains, and he was the person I went to. I studied Circle Time with Jenny Mosley and George and Barbara, and worked with them all. And he just was a he had a publishing house called Lucky Duck, but he was just he was a man who modelled what he taught. So. I have huge respect for him because he was very congruent and very in integrity with who he was as a person too. Therese, you shared so many practical strategies and ideas that I'm sure our listeners can start using straight away with their own kids in their own schools. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Simon, for this opportunity. It's lovely and for inviting me on. Thank you so much. Interesting. So it was really fascinating to hear Therese's approach to getting the whole school on board to make sure her intervention is a success. It actually reminded me of what Janine Dodds talked about in the episode about restorative practice. It's so important to get the whole school buy-in to gather momentum whenever you're trying to get a new initiative going. And if you want to know more about Therese's books or programmes like How to Be a Lunchtime Supervisor Superhero Workshop or the Positive Playtime Masterclasses, or take advantage of that discount code. I'll leave some direct links in the show notes. And if you're working with pupils who believe the world is out to get them and they overreact to even the smallest problem, then you might be interested in one of the resources we have available. It's called How to Help Pupils Reframe Confrontation and it contains a resource pack and training video. And that will give you everything you need to help your students react proportionately when they have a disagreement on or off the playground. That resource is included as part of our Inner Circle programme, where you can also learn from modules such as how to de-escalate like a champion, how to minimise low-level disruption, and how to use mindful moments to help students regulate their emotions. And there are over 30 other modules there too. You can get a seven-day trial of Inner Circle for just £1. Head to beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, scroll down and click on the Inner Circle option to find out more. Also, if you're a school, you can also unlock all our Inner Circle training for all of your staff for just £23.99 a month. And next week, we'll be exploring why parenting programmes don't work and how to change them or adapt them so that you get success with the parents in your school. To make sure you hear that episode, open up your podcast app and tap the subscribe button or the follow button, as it's now called in Apple Podcasts, and your app will then automatically download every episode for you so you don't miss a thing. And why not celebrate taking action in a way that's going to benefit both you, your colleagues and your students? You could mark the occasion by laying out a length of sticky tape and attaching small dried fruits to it, things like raisins, sultanas, even the occasional peanut And then, when the glue dries, place it on your garden table and bingo, not only do you have a brilliant assault course with garden insects like ants or ladybirds, you've also got a very attractive conversation piece for when the neighbours pop round. A real win-win. And last of all, if you've got a friend or colleague who you think would find this week's interview useful, don't forget to share it with them. So have a brilliant week and we'll see you next time on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,